Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. If you're here for the first time or, or just visiting, welcome. My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders. It is great to have you with us. You join us in uh, the middle of a series that we're doing on Lamentations. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you can turn to Lamentation chapter 3. And we've called this series Giving Voice to Pain. Now, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads us to trust in God. A prayer in pain that leads us to trust in God. And what we've seen through this process, just to bring people up to speed, what we've seen during this time in this series, in what it means for us to lament, what does it mean to give voice to our pain? We've seen that lament, the lament prayer is a process of turning to God and bringing our bare, real, raw, painful complaints to Him and in, and in doing so, asking him to do things. Asking him to hear us, to move, to reveal himself. And then that process of turning to God, complaining, and asking, leads us to trust him. Now, two weeks ago, we shifted from walking through, trying to think through what that process of lament looks like, to actually start thinking about what can we learn from lament? What can we learn from the process of Lamenting, And Paul began by taking us through the first two chapters in this book, the book of Lamentations, which, is, which are effectively five chapters, five poems that have been written by a prophet called Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, as he writes these poems, is in the, the midst of seeing God's people and the city of Jerusalem completely ransacked. There is brokenness all around him. There is uh, brutality all around him. And he is lamenting the destruction, the captivity, and the exile of God's people, and specifically the city of Jerusalem, before his very eyes. Now what's interesting, when you read through the first two chapters, what comes through in those first two chapters is this, is that the world is broken and that God is holy. The world is broken and that God is holy. Holy. And as you read through those first two chapters, what you see is that the root of the brokenness that is being experienced by God's people is because of sin. And it's because of their rebellion and their rejection of God. But as you read through those chapters, you see, yes, there is this brokenness where the root is a rebellion and rejection of God, that actually we see a God who is holy. So God deals with that sin. God deals with their rejection. God brings about the issues that they are suffering and they are dealing with because of their sin and because of their rejection. But what we see is that in the midst of His holiness, in the midst of His judgments, He does not block a way for them to come to Him. He does not block a way for them to come to Him. So even in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the exile, and the midst of the discipline of their sin, God opens the door for comfort. He opens the door for forgiveness. He opens the door to deal with shame. And folks, comfort, forgiveness, and the dealing of shame can only be found in a holy God. A God who is set apart, a God who is holy. And this week, as we get to chapter 3, what we see are the personal responses. The overwhelming responses of Jeremiah as he views what is going on. 
before him. So let me read. It's 66 verses. We're not going to read them all. We're going to read from verse 16 to verse 24. But please have your Bible open because we will look at different verses as we go. Verse 16. He, God, has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace and I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saves my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that whatever we are going through now, that you, by your grace and by your spirit, will call to mind the truth of the gospel. Please do that. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. On the 1st of September 2004, 1,400 men, women, and children stood in the playground of number one school in a city called Beslan, North Ossetia. And the 1st of September, which is the first day of school, is called the Day of Knowledge. So all the mums and all the dads go to school on the first day of September with all the kids. 1,400 people standing in a playground with the excitement of this new day, of this new year. But whilst they were waiting to be taken into the school, to go into the classrooms, the schoolyard was ambushed by Chechenian rebels. 1,100 of the 1,400 people were pushed into a gymnasium, which is less than half the size of this room that we're sitting in now. And for three days, 1,100 men, women, and children were forced to stand. They weren't allowed to eat. They weren't allowed to drink. The strongest men amongst the 1,100 were identified and were killed immediately. If anybody spoke up, they were killed immediately. After three days, the Russian military decided to, to, to go into the school to try and save the hostages. Folks, on that day, or during those three days, 335 people died, of which 186 were children. The cemetery of Beslan wasn't big enough to deal with the amount of people that needed to be buried, so they acquired a field at the side of the cemetery to extend into, and the whole field was filled with all the people who lost their lives on that day. Four weeks after that horrific event, I stood in that gymnasium. I saw the blood stains. I walked through what was left of the school, avoiding all the bottles of water that had been put out in the school as a tribute to all the children who weren't able to drink, so were forced to drink their own urine. The place was filled with an eerie silence apart from the wailing of two women who had lost their children. Myself and others were then taken by a local pastor to the grave of which all the people were buried and he took us to four graves small graves and then proceeded to explain to us through translation that each one of those graves was the grave of his child on that day he lost four children 
He then turned to the two graves next to him and said that the two graves there are the two graves of my brother's two children. So we stood around the graves and we began to pray and then through translation, the pastor who was with us prayed this. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace and I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it's bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Seize my soul, therefore I will have hope. A man who in losing his four children and sharing that pain with his brother, who without doubt is walking th- was walking through one of the hardest things in life that can ever be experienced, was able to say, God is good. Now, folks, on that day, in the October of 2004, as I stood before that pastor, he quoted the prayer of lament that is written here before us by the prophet Jeremiah, who was watching and experiencing the destruction and the captivity of Jerusalem. And the personal pain and the suffering both that that pastor was experiencing and also what Jeremiah is experiencing as he sees what is going on is complete and utter emptiness and complete and utter hopelessness. Do you see that in verse 18? My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. I've got nothing left. I'm hopeless, and even my hope in God has gone. And the thoughts and the memories of what has happened and is happening, I can't get them out of my head. They've got a grip on my soul. I'm done. I'm done. Folks, in the midst of what Jeremiah is experiencing, what we hear as he writes his personal suffering and reflections on his pain is a voice of no hope. A voice of no hope. See, right at the beginning of the chapter, what you see is that he is explaining that what he's experiencing is so overwhelming and it is personal. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns. It is a personal grief that he is feeling. But not only is he overwhelmed and it is personal, he is very clear and he understands very clearly who is bringing this affliction. If you see that verses 4 right through to 15, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has beseeched and enveloped me with bitterness. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. He has bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. This overwhelming personal grief that he points to God and says, you are doing this to me through the rod of your wrath, leaves him to a point of no peace, verse 17. To the point of him actually saying, I have forgotten what happiness is. 
And whilst at rock bottom, he comes to a point of even not knowing if he can trust God anymore, verse 18. The grief is relentless. The grief is overwhelming. You can almost hear him catching his breath in the midst of it. Folks, we have reminded you on many occasions during this series on lament. Please don't miss that this stuff is in the Bible. Please don't miss that the Holy Word of God has people, men and women, just like you and just like me, in the midst of overwhelming personal grief, bringing their complaints and their requests to a holy God. Raw, honest emotions and feelings in light of the brokenness of the world. And I know many of you have been, and I know a number of you are, in this place. You are feeling just like Jeremiah. You're finding yourself at rock bottom with a sense of hopelessness and weariness that comes from not knowing if you can trust God because you don't see His purpose in all that is going on. See, folks, I want to encourage you this morning that one of the blessings of this stuff being in the Bible and sitting amongst people who are experiencing exactly the same, it may be different in how it's manifested, but are feeling lost and weary and broken because of circumstances and situations. I want to encourage you that you're not on your own. See, this is the personal pain of Jeremiah, but it is the embodiment of a nation's sin and a nation's pain that he is feeling. And it is refreshing, as much as it's hard to hear and as much as it's painful, it is refreshing to know that we are not the only ones who struggle. And more importantly, that God, in his goodness and his grace, through his word, meets us right there. Right there. See, at the beginning of chapter 3, we see a voice of no hope. A voice of no hope. But as you get to the end of chapter 3, you see a new tone. There's a new tone. See, even though the beginning of the chapter, right up to verse 20, the situation is hopelessness for Jeremiah, as you read towards the end, there's something that is different. There's something different. There's a new tone. Yes, the city has been destroyed. He and the people are still in the pain, but something has changed. Turn to verse 55 of chapter 3. Let me read this. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Do you see the difference? See the difference? The circumstances are still the same, but the tone of his hope towards God and the tone of his conversation towards God is different. Let me paraphrase. He says, I called on your name. Yes, I was in the depths, but you heard me. You came near and comforted me. You told me not to be afraid. You have taken seriously my issue, my concern, my course, and you have redeemed my life. You have save me. Do you see that? Something has changed. Something's changed. He's gone from saying, you have made me the target and you are driving the arrows of your quiver into my kidneys. So you have heard my voice in the depths and you have said to me, do not fear. Something has changed. What has changed? What has come about that changes his perspective? 
Or for us specifically in our pain, if Jeremiah's perspective can change, can my, change, my perspective change also? And if it can, how does that happen? How does that happen? Folks, over the past two weeks, I've walked with somebody and their family in what would be described by them as the worst two weeks of their lives. And during the first two weeks, they would have echoed what Jeremiah is saying here. Such was the pain and hurt and the consequences of pain. The whole family were at rock bottom, consumed, can't understand what God was doing, struggling to trust him. It was overwhelming. It felt unfair. It was painful. And the voice from both was a voice of no hope. But something has changed. Something happened. The tone has changed. The circumstances are still the same. But there is a softening towards each other. And also a softening, and more importantly, towards God's work in them. There is a different perspective. See, this hope that brings a different perspective, brings a change in perspective, and a new tone doesn't come from a change in circumstances, even though, folks, that the change in circumstances may be the fruit and the outcome. No, this hope comes from what you know to be true despite the situation that you are in. This hope doesn't come from a change in circumstances. No, this hope comes from what you know to be true despite the situation that is in front of you. So what I want us to do as we look at this chapter and go, this voice of no hope, and then there's, there's a new tone. What has changed? And through seeing what has changed, what can we learn from his lament? What can we learn in the midst of our own lament? So the first one is this. Hope comes from what we know to be true. Hope comes from what we know to be true. Jeremiah says, have a look at it there, in verse 20, that his soul is continually remembering his affliction and his soul is bound down. You've been there? Whatever you've gone through, you just, you're continually remembering what has occurred, what is going on. It may be brokenness that you've caused or brokenness that has been put upon you. You, can, you can't get it out of your mind. And he says, my soul is bowed down. What that means is it feels like his soul is melting away. It's for the foundations have gone. The, the soul is melting away, but something changes in verse 21. It all turns on that word, but. See, remember when we went through the Psalms, it was like everything turned on these words, but and yet. I am struggling, yet. This is true about you, God, and I know this to be true. I am struggling, but this is what I know to be true. It's the same here that happens in Lamentations chapter 3. My soul is bowed down. I am rock bottom. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. But there's something there. The New Living Translation says this. In light of all this, I still dare to hope when I remember this. I'm struggling, but I still dare to hope when I remember this. The question is, what does he remember? What does he call to mind that gives him hope? See, Jeremiah in his hopelessness is mining out drawing down from the very center of his being what he knows to be true. He's digging far deep down into the soul that he feels is melting away to bring out what he knows to be true. 
even though this is how I feel and this is what is happening to me, I dare to hope because what I know about God, I believe to be true. See, folks, Jeremiah in this moment steps onto the footbridge of faith. Faith in knowing what he believes to be true about God and that gives him hope. A hope that doesn't come from a change in the circumstances, but rather a hope that comes from what he knows to be true despite the situation that he finds himself in. And the question is, what does he know to be true? The first one, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Amen? The steadfast love of the Lord, verse 22, never ceases. What is this love? It's a covenantal love. It's a love that is immovable, a love of God, which means that we as his people who are embodied in that love will never be cast off. It's a covenant. It's a, it's a promise. Michael and Rachel are here. Last, two weeks ago, they made covenantal promises that they would never leave each other. They would never forsake each other. Despite all others, they will be faithful to each other. A covenantal promise. Our intention is that that is immovable. See, the covenantal promise, the covenantal love of God is the immovable love of God, which means that he will never cut us off. See, the, he is as true to his covenant to not cut us off as he is to judge and deal with sin. Now, that's important to remember because what is he doing in the midst of this? He's judging and he's dealing with sin. So God is true to the promise that he will deal with that, and he is just as true to the promise to say that he will never cut off his people because that love is steadfast. It's immovable. His mercies never come to end. The King James Version of the Bible, all right, it's about 500 and odd years old, the these and the thous. You know when you read it and you're like, I'd probably get more out of the Greek than I would out of the English. You know, as you read it through, this is how verse 22 is written. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It is because of the Lord's mercies that roll from his covenantal love for us means that we are not consumed. It means that we are not cast off. And Jeremiah remembers the truth that God's love for his people is rooted in his character. See, the steadfast love of the Lord and the mercies of the Lord are rooted in who God is. This immovable love for his people flows from the essence of who he is. So the ultimate hope that Jeremiah has in the midst of his suffering is a hope in God's ability to keep on being God. As long as God is God, his steadfast love is sure. As long as God is God, his mercies will never come to the end and I will not be consumed. Folks, I want to encourage us. Whatever you are going through, as long as God is God and you are his, you will not be consumed. Even if it's overwhelming and it's weary, if you are his, you will not be consumed. Amen? His steadfast love never ceases. And rather than being consumed, his mercies towards us never come to an end. And the way I think poetically that he writes this, they are new every morning. It's not like a, you know, he dishes out new mercies. His mercies never come to an end. But our understanding is when a new day begins, there are new mercies for that day. There are new mercies. There are new mercies. So what does he remember? That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that his mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. See, in the midst of the pain and the suffering we feel, which is so overwhelming, that sometimes the mercies of God are often hidden and hard to see while they are happening. 
They're hard to see. Sometimes we're so consumed and so overwhelmed by what is going on. We find it so weighty, the pain that we're struggling with or the pain of others. Sometimes we miss the mercies of God in the midst of that. But folks, it is his mercies that means that we're not consumed in the midst of that pain and suffering. It's his steadfast love that flows in and through his holy mercy towards us that means that he carries us through every broken situation. See, for God not to carry us means that God has cut us off. And the promise is that God will not cut us off because his steadfast love never ceases. So he carries us out. Sometimes we miss that. Now here, Jeremiah is calling to mind what he knows to be about true, but all, what he knows to be about God to be true, but also what he has experienced. And what he knows to be true regarding how God has dealt with his people. So, so often, folks, we miss the mercies of God in the midst of our pain and sufferings because we miss the mercies of God in other times. Last week, I had the privilege of leaving a message um, that was read out. In fact, it wasn't read out. They, they played out my voice in the middle of the service uh, as a sort of a greeting and a sort of a few words regarding Bill and Dot Bygroves, who Bill has been the pastor of Bridge Chapel just around the road for 40 years. And his ministry, he retired from that ministry on Sunday. So they had a celebration service and they just asked a few people who had been part of the life of the church for years, but also pastors in the city just to share something. And that process for me was great. It was a wonderful process because I was able to think through in light of being greetings and thanking God for them and their ministry and the work of Bridge Chapel, I was able to reflect on all the mercies of God in my own life. Folks, it's by the mercies of God that my mom and dad, by God's grace for Christians, moved to that church. It's by the mercies of God that we didn't end up just wandering, that we ended up at that church, 15 people at the time. It's by the mercies of God that my mom and dad prayed for us before we were even born. That's a mercy. It's, the mercies, it's by the mercies of God that a few years later, a little girl invited, invited another little girl that lived two or three doors down to go to the kids' ministry in that same church who then became a Christian and then years later became my wife. It's because of the mercies of God that a little girl was invited to a little basic kids' ministry from a complete home that did not know Jesus to now to become a Christian and to be married to me. It's the mercies of God on my life that that has happened. It's by the mercies of God that he took me from the police force of which it could have gone very different to what it is now. Through Operation Christmas Child to even be able to minister to people like that pastor in Bestland all those years ago. It's by the mercies of God that Paul and Bonnie Elms, Paul from a, a non-Christian home, bumps into Bonnie, takes a fancy to Bonnie in the midst of being teachers together, and then he comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he has done, it could have been very different, folks. It's by the mercies of God. It's by the mercies of God that I bumped into Mr. T in a random Operation Christmas Child meeting. And we got to know with each other, and he had a job to ride, drive a van, but through conversation and the mercy of God that we ended up coming to Ramley's Road where he was an elder, and by God's grace, we are now here. Folks, they are the mercies of God, because without the mercies of God, we would be consumed, let alone be used for his glory. Unbelievable. See, folks, we miss the mercies of God because we want the mercies of God to be an enormous impact, enormous impact moments that stand out when actually the mercies of God 
unknown and realized in the apparent insignificant moments of the everyday. See, Jeremiah mined out in the midst of his suffering the truth that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that the mercies of God are new every morning. Every morning means every moment, whether it's significant or not. Do you know the mercies of God in your life? Are you overwhelmed with everything else? We need to mine them out, those truths. And he also realized that God is enough. The Lord is my portion, it says there, verse 24. Saves my soul, therefore I will have hope in him. See, Jeremiah was stripped of everything in the midst of his lament. He comes to see and realize and remember that the Lord is enough. The Lord is everything that he needs in the situation that he finds himself in. So he says, the Lord is my portion. He's enough for me. Therefore, I will have hope. Everything has been stripped away, but God remains steadfast and his mercy is anew. Therefore, I will have hope because God will never stop loving me. He won't cut me off. His mercies are all over my life and my existence. He is sufficient. He is enough. So therefore, verses 25 to 26, I can wait for him. I can wait on him. Verses 31 to 33, I'm able to trust him because I know that what I am going through and what he has taken me through is from a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart to reveal to me his love and his mercy towards me. Folks, I want us to understand that. Verses 31 to 33, please understand that. That what God takes you through comes from a heart of love for you and a heart of compassion for you. Nothing is there from his a heart to afflict you. Those moments of discipline are because of his compassion and his love for you to bring you to a knowledge of his love and his mercy for you. Do we understand it? No, we don't. But I'm telling you, if your eyes are open to his mercies and his steadfast love through that, you will see it. You will see it. And then it leads in verses 37 to 39 and 64 to 66. He is able to trust in the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of all things. He's able to trust in his ways. He's able to trust in his judgments. And he's able to trust that evil will not have the final word. Do you see that? See, part of Jeremiah's lament is that, yes, God's people are being disciplined. But it is the evil of the world that is crashing down on them. But he comes to a realization as he minds out the truth of who God is, the steadfast love of God. He's able to wait and he knows ultimately that evil will not have the last word. Amen. Folks, that's one of the greatest hopes of the gospel. Evil will not have the last word. Brokenness will not have the last word. Sinfulness will not have the last word. God, compassionate God who loves us dearly, who has a steadfast love, who throws his mercy on us all the time. He will have the last word. So the hope that brings this new tone is a rehearsal of truth that is deep in Jeremiah's heart. See, folks, lament helps us to mine our truth, the truth about God that leads us to trust him. And it is that truth that gives us hope. See, hope comes from what we know to be true. And lament enables us to mine that truth out. Number two. Number two. Truth gives us 
Truth gives clear perspective even in the fog of circumstance. See, the truth that is being mined out by Jeremiah, that he is rehearsing in the midst of his hopelessness, in the midst of his complaint, what it does, it clears the clouds of his circumstance. It clears the clouds of the circumstance and it clears the clouds for him to see God for who he is and who he is in light of God. See, verses 37 and 39 say this, who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord commanded it. It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad, thing, bad things come. Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of sin? Now, I want you to make the contrast. He's now at a point where he's saying, okay, nothing happens unless God commands it. It's from the mouth of the Most High. And how, why and how can a man, a sinful man, complain about the punishment of his sin? Do you see that? Whereas previously in verses 10 to 12, how does he respond to God? How is he communicating about God? God, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and he has torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. You see the difference? It clears the fog. He knows who God is. It clears and gives him the right perspective of God, but also the right perspective of himself. See, Jeremiah is suffering, and so are Israel, but we know that this suffering is due to their sin. And the remembering the truth of who God is gives him perspective to walk through that fog. Folks, for some of us, and for some reasons, we need to see that what we are walking through is because of our sin. It is because of our sin and rejection of God. Sometimes we make circumstances that haven't started because of our sin worse because of our sin, because of our rejection of God. Sometimes it's because of the sin of others. But what lament does in the midst of that pain gives us a perspective to see on how we are engaging with God in the midst of that pain. See, you may, be, you may be like, I can't see because of the fog. And often we can't. But the truth of who God is and what I know to be true about him and about me in light of him gives me clarity on how I am walking through this. Folks, you could be dealing with a really weighty situation, but your response in it could be very simple. Because the fog of the circumstances overshadow the truth that is deep within your heart, and there's a complete ignoring and rejecting of that, and as a result, you are sinning. See, what happens in the midst of the fog? We mine out the truth. We bring to mind the truth. And when we see the truth of who God is and his promises for us, it does give clear perspective. Even though the fog may be there, it gives us a clearer perspective to see how we are responding in the midst of it. Do you see me? You with me? You can't see me because it's foggy. But are you with me? See, for him, verses 37 and 39, this mining out truth brings him a perspective on who God is and is enabling him to respond differently. Verses 37 to 39, he basically says this, you are in control. You make all things happen. And how can I complain about how you are dealing with me because of my sin? That's very different to you have made me a target. 
and you've shoved your arrows in my kidney. That's very different, folks. And because he knows that God is compassionate, verse 32, his perspective, even in the fog of the circumstance, is to examine his ways, verse 40, whilst also calling God's people to do the same, verses 40 to 45. Do you see that? In the midst of what I know to be true, in the fog of these circumstances, I need to examine my ways because what I know about God is revealing something about the way I'm dealing with this. I need to examine this. See, Jeremiah is saying to the people there, verses 40, we are experiencing this because of our sin. We are being punished because of our sin. So let us examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us repent and return to the one we have rebelled against. See, folks, sometimes we are so self-centered, even in the midst of something that has occurred to us, out of our control. We think that we, we are completely right and everything is busted up. But often, because of our brokenness, we sin through the midst of that. And it is right for us that even if it's not our fault, we are also responsible for how we respond to God when the truth is reflected in front of us. So he's saying, let us examine our ways, even in the midst of this pain. And let us repent and turn in faith to the God that we are rebelling against. See, the truth of who God is and who we are gives us a perspective on how we are walking through the fog of our circumstances that leads us to return to him in repentance and faith. Now, folks, the punishment that Jeremiah is talking about here is real and it's warranted. The feelings that he is experiencing towards God because of it are not imaginary. They're real. But the truth of what he knows about God is mined out in the process of lamentation that leads him to trust God and for his heart to return to him in repentance and faith. The circumstances haven't changed, but his perspective on God and his own heart is clearer because of the truth that has come to the service. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. His hope is in the truth of who God is. His hope is in the gospel. Folks, one of the reasons why I think we struggle when we suffer is because we fail to preach the gospel to ourselves. Bottom line. We fail to remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done. And sometimes we don't have the energy or the wherewithal to mind down and to bring that to mind. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jeremiah calls to God's people, let us examine. There's an element of, I've come to understand, I've come to realize the truth of the gospel again. Let me share it with you. Let us examine ourselves in light of that. Sometimes we need to preach the gospel to each other in a gracious, loving way help some but sometimes out of fear of offending we jump right in the misery and we are no help whatsoever rather than stepping into the pain and suffering and graciously and lovingly reminding the people who are overwhelmed of the truth of the gospel this is how you feel but this is the truth this is what you're walking through but let me encourage you this is what god says about you that his steadfast love never ceases that his mercies on you every morning and he will not cast you off he won't you might feel that he is, but he isn't, and he won't. Can I encourage you? 
Whatever you are going through or whatever you go through, please remember this phrase. Preach the gospel to myself. Preach the gospel to myself. Tell me the gospel. Or if you can't do it, go to somebody that you know who loves you in the Lord and say, preach the gospel to me. I'm not talking about getting a pulpit and speaking, but just share the truth. Even that verse, just read it to them. That's enough. See, hope, truth gives clear perspective even in the fog of circumstances. And finally, lament enables our tears to flow towards God. Paul mentioned two weeks ago when we kicked off this little mini-series in Lamentations that as we lament, it helps us to see things like God sees things. And if we see things like God sees things, that will bring tears. It will bring tears. And as you read through Lamentations, there, there is a little thread of tears being mentioned. You can see it as you read through the book. But what we do see is a move from tears of despair that drop before God to tears that flow towards God. See, tears that are flowing because we begin to see the world as He sees it. And yes, those tears are directed in complaints and in, initially, but they flow through the process of lament, coming to a knowledge of truth that the tears that you are shedding will one day come to an end. Will one day come to an end. See, Jeremiah's tears move from despair that are dropping before God, despair of tears of brokenheartedness, to tears that flow towards him in the hopelessness of the brokenness and what is happening to God's people. Have a look at it there, verses 48 through to 50. He says there, 48, my eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite. My eyes are flowing with tears because of what is happening and they're not going to stop. That's what he says. Verse 51, my eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. See, it's interesting that we're not just seeing Jeremiah going, oh, isn't it terrible what's happening to the, the city? That's the sort of thing the barber says to you, doesn't it, when you're having your record. It's terrible what's going on, isn't it? No, he has moved so much because of he's seeing what is going on. He's seeing what God is seeing and it's bringing a brokenheartedness and actually it's being drilled down and actually he is being moved to tears because of what is happening to the women of Jerusalem. In that context, vulnerable people who were being abused and raped and dealt with in horrendous ways during the captivity of the city. And he is brokenhearted because that breaks the heart of God when image bearers are abused by other image bearers, whether you're a man, you're a woman, or a child. And it brings tears, eyes causing him grief because of what is happening to the women. He's starting to see, it's not just, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? No, look, he's stepping in. He's feeling, he's seeing how God sees. And these tears are dropping. But they're not just dropping out of despair. They are flowing towards God because verses 49 right through to 50 he is praying the prayer. He is saying, until my eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees, my eyes cause me grief at the face of all that is going on. I will cry till the Lord looks down and sees. 
Folks, that's a, it's a poem, remember, it's a creative way of saying that this will break my heart like it's breaking God's heart and my tears will flow towards him till he makes it stop. Till he makes it stop. Now, Jeremiah is not saying that like a defiant child who's saying, I'm not going to stop till, you, till I get what I want. No, but he does it as a trusting child, knowing that only God can make it stop. And knowing only when God looks down and sees and God moves his hand and God in and through Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new, will the tears then stop? Folks, can I ask you this? In the midst of your suffering, do your tears drop in despair or do your tears flow towards God? It's very different. See, lament enables us to bring our tears of despair before God. But the hope of lament is that those tears would then flow towards Him. Flowing towards Him. See, lamentation enables our tears to flow towards God. Tears about our own circumstances, but also tears about the brokenness of the world. See, folks, when we lament, we see the world like God sees the world. Yes, with compassion. But that compassion leads into tears that flow towards Him because of the state of the world. Because of the legislation that is being pushed through to make the most vulnerable people on the planet even more vulnerable. Folks, does that bring tears to your eyes? And are those tears just tears of despair because you have nowhere to go with that pain and suffering? Or do they flow towards the one who one day will make those tears stop? The truth that we know, folks, as Christians, which sometimes we have to mine out, gives us a perspective in the fog of our circumstances that enables us to trust and repent and our tears flow to him knowing that one day he will make all things new and those tears will be stopped. Amen? Amen. It's that that brings a new tone in the midst of suffering. Not a change in the circumstances. But actually a hope in what you know to be true despite the circumstances. Truth of who God is. Who you are. And not one day those tears will end. Amen. See folks, in and through lament, as we lament, we affirm what we believe. That God is merciful, his steadfast love never ceases, that he is enough, that we are able to wait on him, and to wait on him is not a waste, and that we won't be cast off, even if it feels that we are. See, lament leads us from confusion back to what we know to be true. Lament helps us to interpret pain through the lens of God's character and his ultimate mercy. See, lament is the language that moves us from sorrow towards the truth of God's promises. See, the process of lament shows us that life is hard and God is good. See, he has made my teeth grind on gravel and he's made me cower in ashes. 
And my soul is bereft of peace and I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope in the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gold. My soul continually remembers it. And it's bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are my portion. Therefore, I will hope in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And we praise you. That we are broken, but because of the Lord Jesus, we are perfectly so. We thank you and we praise you that you enable by your spirit enable us in the most horrific of times to mine out the truth of who you are. And Father, I just want to give us time now in the silence that from your word and your spirit that you would help people in here mine that truth. Bring it to the surface. Help them mine that diamond that brings light in the midst of the fog of their circumstances, I pray. I thank you that your steadfast love, your promised covenantal love, never comes to an end. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. and It's of you, Lord, that, your, that mercies come and therefore we will not be consumed. Because your compassion fails not. We thank you and we praise you that we will not be cast off. Even if it feels that we are, we haven't been. Show us the mercies of every moment of the day. Remind us of mercies of the past. Show us the mercies of the present. Encourage us that your mercies are there for the future. And ultimately, Lord, I thank you that we can trust you because as long as you remain to be God, all these things are true. And I thank you one day, Jesus will come back as the conquering king of sin, death, and hell. And you will make all things new, Jesus. You will answer every question. You will wipe every tear. Tears that will never be shed again. We thank you for that hope. And we praise and thank you that as we walk this journey, you promise to hold us and even though we feel that we're failing, you promise to hold us fast. You get a grip of us and you never let us go. Thank you for that. Be glorified. Be honored. Spirit of the living God, full of fresh, we ask. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand and sing. Amen.